Hey, everybody, a quick note about this episode, there were some technical difficulties along the way. um, And we lost some of our conversation just a couple seconds um, in a couple places. uh, But it's still really worth listening to. So I hope you will tune in. I would also just encourage people to go to therapy. I think getting to sit on the client couch and just seeing what it's like, um, because it's one of those professions, you really don't know what it's like to do it until you're already quite far along in your program actually doing it. So getting some experience and appreciation of it and forcing yourself to see what the client goes through, which is the shame or the embarrassment of going to a therapist for the first time and starting to share your life could be really helpful information. You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Dwan Faltz. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. My guests, plural, today are Dr. Martin Shah, PsyD, Dr. Anna Huang, PhD, and Dr. Joseph Lee, MD. And now I kind of want to call this episode, not that kind of doctor, but we'll maybe save that for later. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Hello. 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 So tell me a little bit about a typical, if there is such thing, work day for you. Anna, do you want to start? Sure. So I currently have three part-time jobs. So I don't have a typical work day. Um, I can tell you a little bit just about the three things I do. I think the biggest thing I do do is I see clients. So I'm at two separate clinics. One is a private group clinic just seeing the community which is specifically Christian-based, and that's most of my time. So a day like today, I I come in and see a client at 8.30, I end at 5. So it's kind of your typical 8 to 5, and I try to schedule a lunch break. I'm not always the best at that. And then I'm also seeing um, UC Irvine clients, so kind of more of a university counseling center sort of feel. And my last one is I'm currently adjuncting at the school I graduated from, so teaching undergrads about families. Cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Martin, how about you? Uh, somewhat similar to uh, Dr. Huang here, but uh, in that I'm typically in between eight and five, but I'm pretty much all in one setting here and in, uh, in a group private practice uh, where I practice full time. And um, uh, I'm also in an administrative role as the clinical director and I do some supervision, but generally um, I'm seeing clients between eight and five. Uh, we work with people with OCD, anxiety, uh, sleep issues a lot. Uh, I will not function in the afternoon without uh, at least some lunch break. So I have to do that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, and I also, um, consult with my colleagues a couple days a week. We have lunch together, um, talking about ethical issues, professional issues. And, um, in the, in the meantime, in between our, uh, returning calls and emails and all other things involved with, uh, day-to-day work. Rough guess. What's your split between active time seeing clients and everything else? Ooh, there's another question we've got to hear everyone else's take on. Um, well, I mean, seeing clients, I would say, I want to say 60, 70% of the time. Okay. If I had to guess, I haven't done the math, but but there's definitely a lot of other correspondence and administrative stuff on the side. The, the beauty of our setting, and uh, maybe it's similar, I think it's similar for 
these other uh, esteemed colleagues here is um, um, there's not a lot of extra paperwork not being in like a big you know county or community mental health setting which obviously mm -hmm. they have their function and and are important but uh, sometimes there's just a lot of extra oversight and stuff that can you know bog down the whole process sure so, yeah joseph how about you so i've uh ever since finishing my psychiatry residency i've been in private practice uh solo private practice so um on my own in my own office i work uh monday through friday i take uh wednesday mornings off um just kind of for myself and to do things outside of work. Um, in a typical day, I have appointments scheduled uh, pretty much on the hour minus uh, a lunch break. And I do try to take a full lunch break. Um, so on a typical day, I probably see anywhere from six to eight uh people in sort of full sessions. I'm a psychiatrist uh, by training, um, but I actually have a uh, pretty much a psychotherapy practice. So each one of those appointments is a, is a psychotherapy appointment. Um, so pretty much maybe on the hour. Um, to kind of answer that other question, how much time do I spend sort of actually the work being like therapy sessions is for me most of the time. Um, so like maybe 80% of the, the work time is actually face to face with uh, uh, doing psychotherapy. And then the rest of the time is administrative, answering emails, calling in prescriptions, kind of stuff like that. Um, so, so most of it is, uh, is face to face time with people. Anna, if do you, do you have a rough guess of what your percentage breakdown would be for time? Yeah, I so f when I first started at this clinic, they told me 23 client hours a week would be their considered full time. So I would say I'm around that if I added up my two clinics um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, face to face with students. But in terms of like the one on one in a therapy room around 20 hours a week. Okay. I'm very impressed by that, actually, because most of the freelancers that I talk to, we are lucky to break a 50-50 split between what, you know, more like billable hours and non-billable marketing, prospecting, billing, bookkeeping, all that stuff. So I'm actually very impressed by it. Very impressed by that breakdown. Um, going back to Joseph for a second, what was the difference between psychiatry and psychotherapy for the listeners who don't know? So psychiatry is the field of medicine related to mental health and mental illness. So my uh, educational pathway um, went through medical school and instead of going to, let's say, internal medicine or surgery or emergency medicine, my chosen specialty was psychiatry. So psychiatry's approach to mental health and mental illness is definitely very much from a medical model. And because of that, um, most psychiatrists in practice are practicing within that medical model, meaning for the most part, um, medication and prescription of medication is the main way that people are treating um, mental illness um, and, and, and their patients. Um, even that distinction in itself, I think, you know, most therapists would say that the people that come into their clinic uh, or practice are clients. And historically, I think most psychiatrists would still kind of say like the people that come 
see a psychiatrist are patients. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a just kind of the roots of really where psychiatry comes from. Um, psychotherapy is um, the practice of using essentially talk therapy as a still, a, I guess, a treatment modality um, for for things like the same things, depression, anxiety, um, like that, but no medication. Um, it's that the, the interaction itself, you know, sitting down with people, uh, taking histories, understanding where people's kind of suffering comes from, and then developing tools and strategies through the context of the relationship and information and education, um, and support is, the treatment, you know, and so um, I, earlier I said that maybe um, it's a little bit different in the sense that, especially I think more and more so, um, there's fewer and fewer psychiatrists that practice both psychotherapy and maybe uh, the medication management side. Uh, I still do that. Um, part of it, I think, is a product of where I trained at UCLA. Uh, there's a lot of people who kind of come out of that residency program that still kind of do both and we kind of have a a lot of supervision and history of, of the department of psychiatry they're still being very rooted in psychotherapy and the school of psychology there we have exposure to that but most psychiatrists i think in practice in the real world are actually um their offices and their work days probably look a lot more like um like a medical practice you know three or four patients an hour sort of shorter visits symptoms you know treatment with medication uh, my, my practice is not really like that but but that's probably typical of a psychiatrist okay uh martin are you able to prescribe uh, I am not. So um, my degree is a, it's called a PsyD, as you said earlier, which is a, it's a doctorate degree in clinical psychology, but uh, it's akin to a PhD. It's not different from what um, Joseph went through at medical school, obviously. Um, but a PsyD is a clinically oriented, uh, essentially like a PhD. So we did some elements of research and all that in our training, um, but was really geared towards being a clinician. And that's what I wanted to do was to to see clients and be a therapist um and psychologists uh you know historically speaking right we we're not trained to in the medical model or to or to prescribe medications um however for various reasons uh, there's sort of a push for psychologists to uh be able to prescribe medications in uh, in certain settings uh partly uh, access to care and mm-hmm. um, a lot of research supporting that psychologists are sort of conservative in their approach and prescribing medications because that's not fundamentally where they come from and so there's been a push for that um, and some some psychologists with extra training in psychopharmacology in certain states uh, uh, can prescribe California is not one of them that's where we are or where I am um, but I think uh, Louisiana New Mexico um, Guam. I don't know why Guam, but, um, <laughs> and I think a few others, uh, um, have passed, uh, prescription privileges for psychologists. And so that's sort of a, a growing trend out there, but that's I can really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. That's really interesting. I had yeah. no idea. It's a little controversial. Um, Some psychiatrists don't like their, uh, turf getting uh, mm. trampled on we won't mention names but no just <laughs> <laughs> and anna you as with a phd you are not able to prescribe is that correct i am not nope could you tell us a little bit more about your educational training 
Yeah. So I, after my undergrad, I realized that a sociology degree isn't going to make me any money unless I go to grad school. Um, and just thought, you know what? I just, I love people. I love stories. I loved being a small group leader and um, someone directed me towards clinical psychology. So I ended up just going for my PhD, um, which included the master's along the way, although it doesn't mean much at my school with the master's. Um, Really, it's just to kind of like, keep going, more student loans. Um, but I, I specifically chose the PhD because I wanted to work with Asian Americans and my parents had never heard of a PsyD. And so I thought, okay, well, my parents don't know what this is. I, I better get the more recognizable degree if they're going to help pay for me to do this. So honestly, that's why. <laughs> Did they fuss at you to go for the MD? You know... I think if they had known that psychiatry is somewhat related field, <laughs> probably, but I think they had lost hope at that point because that was like by freshman year, I was already like, yeah, pre-med, not for me. So we'll just make sure they don't listen to this episode <laughs> yes. and know what could yeah. have been. No, I, w I would say that most Asian parents are equally confused about what a psychiatrist is. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I did get a lot of the... But I thought you went to medical school. <laughs> what what uh, happened? Where'd so you go? Where'd you go wrong? Uh, it's like a uniquely like crushing choice, you know, <laughs> to maybe certain Asian parents to have you, their kids go all the way through medical school. But not MD, that kind of doctor. <laughs> and then ultimately become like the least doctor of all doctors, you know. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Correction, you are the most doctor of all doctors. <laughs> I like the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Martin, were your parents supportive of your career choices? Uh, well, in, uh, for the most part, yes. In this case, parents really means one parent. This be my mother. <laughs> and uh, she was very much on board. And fortunately, you know, she's a she's pretty open minded. And uh, once she she just wanted me to have a profession of some kind. <laughs> and um, once I, I found, uh, you know, felt very strongly about applying to graduate school in clinical psychology, she said, great. So I was very lucky in that sense. That's good. Yeah. What are some of the challenges and rewards, which I know is a very complicated question, but what are some of the challenges and rewards of the work that you do? Anybody can jump in whenever. <laughs> I think one of the uh, typical things that um, I get asked, and I think a lot of therapists get asked um, is, you know, is, is like, isn't it hard to kind of sit there and, and listen to people's problems? Um, and I think that that's probably a good starting point to talk about what I would say is both one of the challenges of the work of being a therapist, but also I think the rewards, because it is probably true that um, most people, when we, when we kind of see them for the first time, it really might be the worst day of their life or the worst season of their life um, in terms of them coming to see us. And we're definitely sitting with a lot of people's pain and oftentimes I think as a therapist you find yourself as maybe being the first person who ever gets to hear the true depth and scope of what people are suffering through um, from a psychological emotional relational standpoint because the other aspect of psychotherapy is that because it's very private in nature oftentimes we're privy to things that are very 
secretive um, that people otherwise don't share, even including with people that they that they are very close to. Um, so I think from that place that there's genuinely a challenge in sort of that starting place. Um, but at the same time, I think most experiences with most people coming to psychotherapy is that they get better. And so you also have this experience over time with people that because of the work that you do, you're contributing to somebody getting out of the worst season of their life. And you also recognize that in this sort of like unique special place that is like the therapy office that a lot of people would not have this experience of growth and healing had they not come for this very specific kind of help. And so I think for me, you know, having done this for quite some time, there are definitely times when, you know, it's maybe early in the process or seeing somebody new or, or somebody's just revealed something pretty horrific or difficult about their lives. And that kind of definitely affects you and stays with you to a certain degree. But at the same time, very much, I think it's balanced. the challenge and the sort of very, very rewarding aspect of doing this kind of work. Ditto. I think another piece just to expand on that, and I agree with everything Dr. Lee just said is just how it can be really lonely because so many of the things that are awesome at work, we can't share with other people. Um, and as you know, as anyone who becomes more of an expert in their field, not that I'm an expert by any means, but it can be hard to even explain, you know, oh, this person said this one thing about their family and had this insight and it was amazing and it's taken two years to get there. Like the average person is like, I don't understand the significance of that. I don't understand what it means when you say you're holding so many things um, or like the layers that we try to think through to interpret things with clients. I think so much of that just feels we hold it ourselves. It's secret. And, you know, whereas someone else could be like today at work, you know, our numbers got this much better, or this is the product that I made. Our products are, are people and relationships which are confidential. So I found that it can feel lonely. How do you download and how do you decompress from that? <laughs> you all take lunch breaks. That must be it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, that question's come up before too. And, and, uh, I would say, you know, it varies because they're just based on who you're talking with and what you're dealing with on a given day. Some some stuff really affects you, you know, more deeply and in different ways than than other things. Um, but in general, I mean, I think I still don't have a great answer for this. And even though I've been asked it many times, because uh, this is just something that I, I always wanted to do and um, and enjoy doing. And and definitely there's plenty of people who do uh, who are fantastic at other things that I would have no business doing who say, I don't know how you do what you do because, you know, if I heard, if I sat for, you know, an hour or so listening to someone talking about, you know, a trauma they went through or, or, you know, a divorce they're considering or just something horrible at work, um, that you would take that home with you. But, um, I think that you have to sort of just have a balance of like, you know, you are fully present when you're, you know, across from someone who is entrusting you with their, with their personal uh, business. Uh, and then, you, you have to sort of just be able to 
leave that in the office. You know, I mean, you care and you're there and you're present for that time. And then that's theirs um, until they come back. Um, I know, Martin, you you mentioned that your practice sees um, a lot of sleep disorders and OCD. Um, Anna, Joseph, do you have any particular populations or groups that you tend to work with um, conditions that you specialize in? Mine has, uh, for the most part, been a general, a pretty general adult uh, age practice. Um, I don't see young children, uh, maybe some older teens. Um, And just kind of based on where I'm situated in terms of my office, um, it just ends up being that I think most people that end up coming to see me are dealing with uh, depression or anxiety. Uh, One of the surprises that I didn't quite see coming uh, from my training was that I also have a large proportion of people who are adults with ADHD who uh, were never previously uh, diagnosed, you know, coming into my practice for the first time, uh, like maybe in their 30s or 40s, um, just knowing something's not quite right. Um, And so I'd say for the most part, those are the uh, most common reasons why somebody's coming to see me, you know, with depression, anxiety, or uh, maybe, like I said, uh, an adult with ADHD. Uh, kind of going back to the the three doctors thing again, can our mental health conditions like OCD, ADHD, depression, anxiety, can who could diagnose those officially, I guess? So it's a complicated question because I think um, one of these gray areas, I think probably most therapists would struggle sort of with is that we have an experience that knows that psychotherapy who are using services, uh, they basically quote-unquote have to be patients so they have to require some sort of diagnosis um so because of that i think all therapists are making diagnoses because that's part of the infrastructure of how um sort of the system in general works uh that being said even for myself as somebody coming from a medical model there's plenty of times where you know the diagnosis that i'm quote unquote giving somebody is not quite necessarily the full scope of what I think is going on but I think um, just kind of the nature of, of how our system is set up in terms of how healthcare and therapy falls under the larger banner of healthcare, how that's delivered here um, everyone actually for the most part is kind of being given diagnoses in the context of psychotherapy that's super interesting well as we wrap up What advice would you give to other Asian Americans who are interested in pursuing careers in mental health? Well, I'd say, uh, you know, there's no shortage of, uh, you know, studies and um, epidemiological surveys showing that uh, the access to care and the the use of mental health services in the Asian American population is uh, is there's a vast disparity and there's a great need and um, and as a res- and obviously one one way in which that um, need can be met or that gap can be bridged or bridge can be gapped is by or what you know what I mean <laughs> is by having more um, 
uh, providers uh, who come from similar backgrounds as the patient population and needs. So, uh, you know, I, I would welcome and encourage people who are interested in what we do to uh, to join the profession and um, help advocate for um the use of mental health services and breaking down of stigma in the Asian American community. I love my therapist, but sometimes she will give me, she's not Asian and she will give me suggestions for how to talk to my parents about things. And I'm like, Ooh. not on, not on this planet. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's a really, really good yeah. point. Just the cultural awareness is so yeah. important. And I think there's, um, <clears throat> It, well, being a being a therapist, I I think is it's good work. You know, it's rewarding work. It's a helping profession, um, and um, and you know maybe it even sort of indirectly meets immigrant parents' aspirations for you to get advanced degrees. You know, and so maybe maybe it's the ideal Asian American you know job. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, all, all kidding aside, um, I do think. It's it's um it is specialized work. I, I don't think that everybody who um, just kind of wants to do it for you know um, whatever else comes along with the job, they kind of have to be able to do um, the work itself. You know, you ask some pretty good questions about like what are the challenges, and you and one of those challenges is you know you do kind of um, emotionally sit with a lot of other people's kind of stuff, right? Um, that being said, you know, as complex as it is, I think that's something that you can get better at. And so it's not always this sort of like burdensome experience, but going through the experience of being a therapist, I think practicing as a therapist, uh, like I mentioned before, it's, it's good work. It's gratifying work. It's rewarding. Um, and like Martin did say, there is a true benefit of kind of being able to have a therapist. I think that kind of, even by the eyeball test, you kind of feel like it's going to get you. Um, and so I think that having more Asian American therapists and practitioners in the mental health field can only benefit, uh, the larger Asian American community. And so I think if there is some interest, I would definitely encourage people to really consider it. Yeah, I agree. And and then I would, I would also just encourage people to go to therapy. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't know if that was said. Sorry, I keep cutting off. But I think getting to sit on the client couch and just seeing what it's like, um, because it's one of those professions, you really don't know what it's like to do it until you're already quite far along in your program actually doing it. So getting some experience and appreciation of it and forcing yourself to see what the client goes through, which is the shame or the embarrassment of going to a therapist for the first time and starting to share your life could be really helpful information. Yeah. Practicing empathy. Um, I actually just hired another freelancer for, for a bigger project. And I was like, wow, being on the other side is mm -hmm. a very eye-opening experience <laughs> to be getting like 25, you know, 25 freelancer bids of totally varying quality. <laughs> So kind of flipping, flipping the tables there. Well, thank you all so much for your time today. Um, I will be sharing, con not contact information, <laughs> practice information, if you'd like to share that uh, in the show notes. I'm not going to be getting Thanks. your personal Thanks. number. <laughs> I don't even know if you have that, actually. Address. I don't think I do. Yeah. Maybe Anna. Yeah. <laughs> There's only seven different ways to reach anyone these days. So. Right. Twenty right. different ways. Thank yeah. you. Thank, thank you, you all so much. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to Chief Executive Ante. You can find show notes, resource links, and more Ante rants at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutiveauntie.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw, who mixed and mastered this episode and composed the music, Alyssa De La Rosa, who created the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. Check out more stories for Asian American women at www.mochimag.com. That's M-O-C-H-I-M-A-G.com. See you next time.